0: Welcome to the 53rd episode of It Wasn't Me, a true crime podcast, where we discuss murders and intrigue guests. I am Cindy.
1: And I'm Mercedes. Thank you for listening to last week's episode, where we told you about the deaths of a woman, a cop, and a kidnapper, or was it all a possible police cover-up?
0: Our show is often horrifying and graphic, and we will use offenses language. So if you have kids, put them away for a while and join us for a murder. Also, we are passionate and always have been about true crime, but we must warn you, sometimes we will make jokes and we will laugh during this podcast.
1: Want to learn more about us? Visit our website at itwasntmetruecrime.com to find links to our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages. If you like what you hear and you'd like to help us out, please subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform and leave us a five-star rating along with a comment. Also, please recommend our podcast to your friends the more the merrier. Hey Mercedes, what's up? Well, pro nothing really, you know, just same old, same old, another day, another dollar. Yep. Yep. Did you have a good Halloween? Well, it was very uneventful yesterday. Yeah. I mean, we dressed up at work and, uh, as a pirate Ah, and, um, yeah, we, uh, had a little, wait, yesterday was Saturday. Yes. Okay. So I didn't work yesterday. No, we didn't do anything actually. And we didn't have a single trick-or-treater.
0: Really? Neither did I we. I was shocked.
1: I was shocked. So COVID, I don't know, we bought lots of candy, but it's our first Halloween in this neighborhood. So, you know, I I wasn't sure what to expect. I know there are lots of kids around, but mm-hmm. you know, I was telling my husband, I was telling my husband and my my youngest son that, you know, I heard stories about people who lived in this house. So maybe it's just, you know people are scared of us which You've is heard, perfectly really? okay with me what stories um well i heard that like there was an old man who lived here and he was married to a younger woman and he died and then she ended up bringing in some other guy and did he die in the house uh, i i think so i'm not Ugh. sure and then um that when the owner the current owner bought it she bought it it was like somebody didn't pay taxes or something mm-hmm. and so she got a good deal on it, but she came in and she said there were stripper poles in the garage area and she thought it was a grow room for marijuana. Everything was like the windows were boarded up and there were strip poles. So yeah, it might
0: might've been a little side business. Yeah, maybe hmm.
1: little, a <laughs> little after hours nightclub. So yeah, how was your Halloween? <laughs>
0: oh, oh, huh? Say that again. How was your Halloween? It was good. I went yeah. to a, like a charity thing. Oh, good. That's good. You I'm definitely
1: not 20 years old anymore. No, definitely not, you know, but every now and then it's fun to go out and do that, you know? Yes. You got to do it. Do it. Yep. So, um, so, hey, we want to say thank you to everyone for your ratings and we appreciate it. Cindy was mm. super offended by one rating. That, that I thought it was hilarious. She did not find it hilarious at all. Do you want to share with us about that?
0: I did not find that hilarious
1: because...
0: I think that we are bright bulbs, actually. Okay. So, well,
1: somebody said something like, oh, well, they're not the, sh- what did they say? The brightest, brightest bulbs. Harvest. We're not the brightest bulbs out there. But hey, you know what? We have fun. And yep. if you don't like us and you don't appreciate us, you know, that's okay. I don't go to a restaurant and give um, a bad rating. If I'm unhappy, I will tell the manager though. Yeah. So if you're not happy with something we do, please
0: email us, let us know. And they didn't give us a bad rating. They gave us, they said we were, that we were decent and that they gave us three stars out of five. Okay, so well, it wasn't that's one star.
1: Me. Okay, well it's not, yeah.
0: And, it, and they did say that we knew the facts of the cases. So, I mean, there was a little good, you know, not the brightest bulbs. I did find yeah. that a little insulting. You but- found
1: it insulting. I don't, I didn't care, honestly. Because but whatever. i told
0: you why i found it insulting too which yes
1: yes insulting. and which makes sense that yeah. definitely makes sense to me psychologically i can see why you would see that but you know what hey i'm having fun with it and i don't take yeah. myself too seriously so you don't like it Bye bye. yeah and we are okay. both pretty
0: educated women
1: yeah we, i would say we both have our my master's student loans
0: right <laughs> i have the student loans to, to prove it, it. of course mm-hmm. i don't
1: know my own children would say i was pretty. Pr- i'd be pretty stupid for having so many student loans okay yeah right yeah anyway all right well let's do this wanna
0: yeah I mean between the two of us we have quite a few degrees (laughs) Yeah, definitely (laughs) all right yeah I'm ready you yeah let's do this all right so I'm taking it back a day so I chose a Halloween murder yay yes and it's not um I say it's one that I hadn't heard of but I think we all have kind of heard of it we just might not have known the details of exactly well, how. well you called out. it the candy man
1: and when i think of the candy yeah. man i automatically think of Sam, sammy davis jr but i know yeah. that there's like an urban myth about the candy man but i don't really know that much about the candy man so
0: yeah and this isn't like the movie I'm
1: this isn't like the movie candy man. i don't watch movies like that no.
0: yeah no it's and there's been several actually killers that have gone by the, you know, the handle or nickname or whatever, Candyman. Okay. So this this one, you'll you'll see why. Okay. Okay. So I have some questions before we, like, I have a question for you. All right. So when you, when your kids were little and they went trick-or-treating, did you check their candy? Yes. Okay.
1: Because, you know, there's always going to be a razor blade or something in the apple.
0: (laughs) Right. So... Do you, um, do you know when and why that became a thing?
1: I don't know when and why it became a thing. But what I know is that my parents used
0: to check my candy and I'm kind of old, so it's been around quite a while. Yep. My parents checked my candy as well. But so I asked my mom if her parents checked her candy and she, her response was no, didn't need to, because it was a much kinder world. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And your
1: mother is older than I am. Well, she has to be because you're only a few years younger than I am.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, but then she proceeded to tell me that when she was in junior high, that there was a sailor here on the local Navy base that shot and killed, or that shot a trick or treater on the Navy base. Oh, wow. Yeah. When she was in wow. junior high. And when I was typing that out, I just put it in here. I was like, I typed out trick or traitor. And I was like, that's not what I meant. To <laughs> oh, Oh gosh. yeah. But well. Yeah. I mean, you
1: know, you think of PTSD and some, you know, you're living monsters in your head all the time and one knocks on your door.
0: Well, and I mean, and that would have been in my, cause my mom graduated high school around Vietnam era. Right. All right. So I'd asked my mom about if my grandparents checked her candy. Of course she said, no kinder world. Didn't have to do that then. (sighs) Okay. Um, Which I didn't think that my grandparents would have checked the candy because Apparently, that really wasn't a thing until 1974. Really, like a like a nationwide like, holy shit! You people need to start checking your k- kids' candy.
1: Okay, what? I'm sure you're going to tell us why.
0: I am. Okay. okay, so I'm sure there's someone out there who was doing it already, <laughs> yeah, picking their kids' candy, but it wasn't like as mainstream as say today, you know. Okay. So, and we really kind of have this one man to think. However you want to look at that. So I say that we have one man to thank for um, the beginning stages of helicopter parents. All right. Okay. Okay. So Ronald Clark O'Brien, what's his name? All right, you ready? Yep. To hear about this little sick fucker. So how did just one man start a nationwide total freak out? (laughs) Well, he did it pretty easily, actually. So I'm going to give you a little bit of background. And here's, and I, I say... When I was typing it out, I was like, picture it, Texas, 1974. (laughs) The O'Brien family were deeply in debt, deeply in debt, and could not see the light at the end of the tunnel. Well, not anyway. He eventually does see that light at the end of the tunnel. (laughs) Um, Ronald O'Brien was an optician at the, huh?
1: An optician? Yep. Okay.
0: At the Texas State Optical Company. So I had to Google what an optician was and basically, you know, when you go into an optometrist or an eyeglass place or whatever, it's kind of like that guy who is the customer service guy and he shows you your glasses and he's like, this is what we have over here. He's that guy. He's like the salesman, customer service person. Typically, you know, some do work closer with optometrists, but mainly it's like a customer service type job management, you know, office manager kind of thing. So, um, I put it here, the, basically they're the first people you encounter when you go into an optometrist, right? He was also a deacon at his church. Of course he was. They seem to all be (laughs) the family, um, was behind on several loan payments and even they even had to sell their house in order to pay some of their debt. But then later on, um, they had a house in foreclosure. So I don't know if that's the same house. Or if they sold a house to get out from under their debt and then bought another house and then they, that one was in for the process of being foreclosed on.
1: Maybe they sold a more expensive house, got a cheaper house to live in and then had to foreclose on that.
0: Yes. Knows? I never saw any, anything else about that. So I just want to mention that rule. So he, um, O'Brien discussed his financial situation with several people. I mean, basically anybody that would kind of listen. He would talk to his friends about it, acquaintances and, um, you know, people at work and he would talk to them about these financial burdens. And then he also told him that in 1974, that he anticipated receiving some money by the end of the year to hopefully get out of this debt. Okay. Um, so even though the O'Brien family was experiencing these financial issues, Ronald was able to extend the life insurance policies on his children. And I do go into, um, this again, a little bit later, but he had a son named Timothy and a daughter named Elizabeth. So by mid October, the policies on the kids were at $30,000 each, um, while the policies on his wife and himself were very minimal amount. And, um, I address the life insurance again later. That's, so,
1: it, that's interesting because you would think it would be the opposite. Like you would be, put more money on your spouse because mm-hmm. You know, if you lost your spouse, who's going to help you pay the bills and whatnot. Right. If you lost a, a child, heartbreaking as it is,
0: that child- Doesn't produce any does, income anyway. But, right. Yeah. And his kids were, you know, they were fairly young. So they weren't anywhere near working age. <laughs> well, that, they were financial burdens at that time. They were the financial burden. Yeah. So in early, um, earlier in the year, around August, Ronald attempted to buy cyanide from where he worked. Okay, so cyanide at the optometry place, at Thomas, you know the eye center. Okay. I, I, didn't, I didn't understand that. So huh. I was like, they sell that stuff there. In September, he asked a friend who hey, worked- did you look it up? Why
1: you would need cyanide at an op- an optical place? I did not. Oh, okay.
0: I mean, I maybe when they make the glasses, they I, mean, I don't know. I don't know what you use cyanide. By the
1: for. way, I did look up suicide forest, but I'm not going to tell you about it because I, I just thought of that. Oh, did you really? No, I'll look this up. I'll look this up <laughs> okay. Go <laughs>
0: ahead. In September, he asked a friend who worked at Acro Chemical Company about cyanide, and the two discussed the cyanide varieties and the accessibility of it. So, I, I'm wondering how did that conversation actually go? I mean, I would think you would need a pretty good reason to obtain some freaking cyanide, right?
1: Yeah, because I don't really know of any other purpose for cyanide other than to poison people. Poison. Yeah, I don't know what so, the- I mean, yeah, yeah. interesting because it's not like, you know, uh,
0: antifreeze or something like that That where- has another duty, I guess you'd say, right. use for it. Well, he even discussed cyanide with the people he worked with. Like, a red flag. I would be like, what the fuck? Why are you always talking about cyanide? What's wrong with you? Right, so I would be super suspicious if someone at my work was always talking about that.
1: Okay, well, wait it. a minute, hold on, because maybe there is something. In manufacturing, cyanide is used to make paper, textiles, and plastics. So maybe it is present. Make glasses. It is present in the chemicals used to develop photographs. Cyanide salts are used in metallurgy for electroplating, metal cleaning, and removing gold from its ore. And is used to exterminate uh, exterminate pests and vermin in ships and
0: buildings. Okay. Maybe it's something to do with the glass making the glasses
1: uh, or the frames or something. Yeah. Who
0: knows? Okay. okay. Well, good to know. So then, um, in October of 1974, O'Brien showed up at a Curtin Matheson Company where he learned that they had large quantities of cyanide. He inquired about how he would obtain a very small amount of the substance. I mean, do they question you when you go? I mean, I'm sure they would today. But maybe then, I mean, I I don't know. Maybe he had- I've never
1: been in the market for cyanide. No, me either.
0: I don't feel that I ever will be.
1: I hope I never will be.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So on Thursday- Just
1: based on what I know, just from watching movies and reading, it's an awful death to watch.
0: Yes. And probably to very much experience. So on Thursday, October 31st, 1974, the O'Briens had dinner at the house of their friend's the Bates family. Oh, God. <laughs> After dinner, O'Brien and the uh, the O'Brien and the Bates' children would all go trick-or-treating. So the dads, the two dads took the kids trick-or-treating. Okay. So the families hit up a few houses, and O'Brien would escort the kids to the door, while the Bates guy would stay back, like at the sidewalk. Uh-huh. When they arrived at one house, the lights were dark, and no one appeared to be home. This was the uh-huh. house of a Courtney Melvin. Okay, but the children and O'Brien approached the house anyway. Which to me, I'm like, dude, if my lights off, don't come to my door. Right. So I just think that's kind of rude. If the lights are out, they either aren't home or they don't want to be bothered. It's a sure giveaway. Just saying. Uh-huh. So no one answered the door when they knocked, and the kids just kind of ran on to the next house. Well, O'Brien kind of stayed back and was like 30 seconds behind them, and then he comes out from the door and he's waving these giant pixie sticks in the, and he's like, Hey, the rich guy answered the door and look, and you know, the big giant pixie sticks, Ooh. you know, which one's, are, you know, which one. Yeah. And, um, so he was like, you know, proclaimed the rich guy answered the door and he just gave the kids. He was like, but I'm going to hold on to these while you guys finish trick or treating, you know, I'll just hold on to them. And then it started to rain. So they kind of, they decided they went back home. They didn't get very far in their trick-or-treating endeavors. So they went back to the Bates' house um, where he gave each kid a pixie stick. So one for his daughter, one for his son, and then one for each of the Bates' kids.
1: Okay. And then
0: they went home. And then when they got home, there was like a neighborhood kid um, that came up to him as they were getting home. And he gave the neighborhood kid a pixie stick. Cause he had five, <clears throat> excuse me. The mom would later go like leave. I guess she was like, I'm out. I'm going to hang out with my friend," And O'Brien stayed home to take care of the kids. He told the kids that they could have one piece of candy before they went to bed. And the little boy, Timothy chose the pixie.
1: Now, how old are these parents Tim, um O'Brien and his wife? Do we know?
0: They were in their thirties. Okay. Because yeah. All right i think that i think o'brien was 30. all right um so the mom's gone he tells the kids you can have one timothy chose the pixie stick he's like i want the pixie stick so he had trouble getting the candy out of the tube so um ronald like kind of rolled it between his hands to break up the candy and then he was able to you know give it to his child well, the child immediately complained that it tasted weird. It says in everything, it says it tasted bitter. I'm sure that this child didn't go, oh, it's bitter. Probably just said, daddy, it tastes weird. Well, then the dad gave him some fucking Kool-Aid to wash that shit down with. God. Yeah. Well, poor Timothy became violently ill almost right away. He was vomiting. He began to convulse. And when he started having the convul- com- like seizures, convulsions, that's when Ronald called for an ambulance. And- Apparently, he would say, I think my son's been poisoned. He said, you know, this candy tasted funny. He ate it anyway. I gave him some Kool-Aid, and he immediately started convulsing and vomiting. Aww. Well, unfortunately, Timothy would be dead within the hour of arriving at the hospital. And, I, well,
1: yeah. Do you know how old he was? He was he, obviously old enough to walk and go trick-or-treating. He was
0: like 10.
1: Oh, my. Okay. Yeah.
0: So Timothy would be dead within an hour, and- I I read two different accounts that one he died within an hour of arriving at the hospital. And then I read that he died on the way to the hospital. Mm. So within an hour, this poor child was dead. Yeah. So obviously the news of this, because right away he was like, I think my kid was poisoned. So the community of Deer Park, Texas went in, they fucking were freaking out. Parents were taking their kid's candy, to the police station in fear that their candy was poisoned. Like, we don't want it. Here it is. Wow. So uh, police obviously initially did not suspect that the family had anything until Timothy's autopsy revealed that the pixie stick he consumed was laced with a fatal dose of potassium cyanide.
1: And potassium cyanide, because I did one, remember, where that woman she tried to kill her child with potassium cyanide she injected him and it's a very very painful death because you need what do you need like two other drugs to counter effect it or it's a miserable
0: yeah painful death. well that's how the oh. nazis killed gassed people was with cyanide tablets christina
1: riggs christina riggs yeah. oh my yep. god
0: so four of the five pixie sticks O'Brien claimed to receive were recovered by the authorities from the other children. None of them had consumed the candy.
1: Okay. We're, but you're going to tell me if they were also, were they also laced?
0: Yeah, I, we- I will get to that. Okay. right. The parents of the fifth child became hysterical when they could not locate the candy upon the police calling their house to inform them, Hey, your kid, might have a poisonous oh my god the parents rushed upstairs to find their son asleep holding the unconsumed poisoned candy oh my gosh and this kid was 11 it says the boy was unable to open the staples that sealed the wrapper shut which an 11 year old couldn't unstaple something i didn't quite understand that part well but, yeah i mean because the so all five pixie sticks had been, had been opened with the top two inches and then refilled with cyanide powder and then resealed with a staple. Cause you know, like, you know how it is. It's like that label kind of flaps. Open. Yeah, uh-huh. And they are kind of, maybe it was like an industrial staple cause they are kind of a pain in the butt. Yeah, they are. So according to the pathologist who tested the pixie sticks, the candy consumed by Timothy contained enough cyanide to kill two adults. While the other four candies contained dosages that would kill three to four adults. Wow. So his whole, the police theorized that he was trying to poison these other kids to make it look like it wasn't just.
1: Like the Tylenol guy.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Now I remember that seriously okay so I, I'm, I'm like typing out things that I'm typing it out as I'm like saying it in my head we're putting like, your what you're <laughs> yeah
1: you're putting your injections into there I can see that that's cute
0: <laughs> so, honestly yeah like I mean but seriously thank god that those little kids did not eat that candy yeah yeah I mean that's frightening I can't imagine if that happened today and someone in my neighborhood a kid got poisoned if it was candy I'd freak the fuck out excuse my language, but this will be horrible. So I think that this might be a good um, spot for us to hear. her. What do you think? Sounds good. Okay.
1: Hey, everybody. I want to take a minute to tell you about this week's sponsor, Best Fiends. As you all know, researching criminal cases is my passion but even I need an occasional break. So when I feel like I need to escape to a simpler world, I always turn to the mobile puzzle game Best Fiends, and it's a bright, refreshing world of Minutia. If you haven't heard, Best Fiends is a puzzle game that you can play right on your phone. Each level has challenging puzzles that you have to solve, and they actually engage your brain. But no worries, because it's a casual, relaxing game that anyone can play, and it's really, really fun. Let me tell you about the world of Minutia. This world is vibrant and creative, and it is visually stimulating with bright colors and cute characters that evolve throughout the game. My favorite character right now is Jojo, an adorable caterpillar who is evolving into the most beautiful butterfly. I find a new favorite character every month because Best Fiends updates the game monthly with new levels and events, so it never gets old. So, true crime-loving listeners, join us and the millions of others who love this app. Engage your brain with fun puzzles and collect tons of cute characters. Trust me, with over 100 million downloads, this five-star rated mobile puzzle game is a must-play. Download Best Fiends free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. Now, back
0: to the show. Welcome back. Thank you for listening to our uh, sponsor there. (laughs) All right, so I already recapped that the parents of the fifth child, they were freaking, freaking out. They found their kid asleep with... The candy, basically, in his hand. Yeah,
1: that would freak me out too. Uh, yeah. Okay,
0: a little bit. So this is when police started questioning. Obviously, they're going to question. Is
1: probably, and I don't mean to interrupt you, but probably around the time when they really started um, coming up with better methods of packaging, tamper-resistant packaging. Maybe I mm-hmm. know with Tylenol, I remember when that happened. Then they—that yeah, was in the eighties. Like, yeah, yeah. Late eighties.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Cause I remember, I mean, yeah. Yeah. Well, sometime in the eighties anyway. Okay.
0: All right. So they're freaking out. Mm-hmm. And police started to kind of get suspicious of the dad. Of the O'Brien. Making excuses. Yeah. Like he didn't know, oh, well, I don't know what houses we went to yet. They only went down two streets because it started raining. So they became even more weary of his story When they found out that none of the houses that they went to gave out pixie sticks. Yeah,
1: but somebody can lie. I mean, you know,
0: but I guess maybe they had some candy or they just, you know, they probably questioned everybody. They probably Uh, questioned the people who went trick or treating there. And they were like, none of them had these pixie sticks, but right. Okay. O'Brien's a neighborhood with the police three times, three times where he led them to Courtney Melvin's house which the is the people who didn't
1: answer the door, the
0: people who didn't answer the door. Right? Okay. He told police that while the house wasn't lit up, a man did finally answer the door and he like opened it far enough to like stick out his hairy arm
1: Ew. and
0: give him the pixie sticks.
1: Yeah. So, right. 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 Yeah. I
0: okay. mean, like, he, yeah, he described it as a hairy arm, but he didn't see any, he didn't see anything. He just threw the pixie sticks at him and left. So a bright, like I said, he, he described the har- heart as a hairy arm. I don't, I don't, I don't so know he's what.
1: a deacon of a church. And I remember when he came running out, he's like, Oh, the rich man finally opened the door or something, right?
0: Didn't yeah, because it was out? like, it's kind of like the people who give out
1: the good candy, the good
0: candy, the candy like, bars, like the, the candy bars. Exactly. So it's like, Oh, look at this big ass ki- pixie stick. Woo. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. So come to find out, Courtney Melvin was an air traffic controller at a local, like a nearby airport. And he wasn't even there, he was at work. And 200 people accounted for seeing him at work on Halloween night. And did he have a hairy arm? Just <laughs> I don't know. I didn't find that part out. Right. But that he didn't return home until after 11 p.m. anyway. Okay. So remember how I told you that O'Brien, they were deeply in debt? Right. Well, police soon would find this out during the course of their investigation. Of course they would. They found out that Ronald O'Brien had over $100,000 of debt. That's $500,000 oh. today. How does somebody get in debt like that? They had
1: several loans. Yeah, but don't, I mean, I guess that would explain <laughs> why I can't get yep. today. Yep. So right. they
0: also determined that father of the year here couldn't hold a steady job. In, a, in the 10 years prior to the to the death of his son, he held 21 different jobs. Wow. Yeah. At wow. the time of his arrest, he was close to being fired from his current job for suspected of stealing. Oh, wow. I don't know what he was stealing, but that he was just suspected of stealing. He also had already defaulted on several loans and the family home was in foreclosure. And this is the way I don't know if it was like the same home that they were trying to sell or if this is just foreclosure proceedings Mm -hmm. or what have you. Okay. I'm assuming that they'd already sold one home and they were living in this one and it was about to get foreclosed on this poor wife.
1: Well, I mean, what about the wife? Does she work? I mean, I know women didn't, it was it was kind of looked down on at that time for other women to have outside jobs Mm -hmm. outside
0: the home. And there's not a lot of information about her. Okay. So Um, she wasn't involved in this or anything. She wasn't. Um, Police soon learned that those insurance policies that O'Brien took out on his children. They soon learned about those in January, January of 1974, he purchased two $10,000 policies. Then In the month prior to Timothy's death, he took out the additional twenty thousand dollars on each child. So each child had sixty thousand or thirty thousand dollars worth of life insurance.
1: So he was her picky her her pixie stick was or the other child's was Uh Elizabeth's was also.
0: Yep. They were all
1: five of them were. Yep. Okay.
0: So, I mean, I'm like, why his kids? I mean, like you brought that up earlier. It's like, usually, I mean, why the kids? I just don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I can't wrap my my mind around. Well, you (laughs) can always make more. I mean, I guess, I mean, and I know that being in debt and needing money will make you do some desperate ass things. Yeah. But but that's not, that's not
1: normal. That's psychopathic or something. Yeah. Or
0: it's just not right. I don't
1: know the word, but yeah. Yeah.
0: And I, and, and I, I didn't go through there. His appeal process was kind of quite extensive, like mm-hmm. later on, but I did not go. There was like some juror issues. I didn't go through all that. I just give you the, about right. him, who gives a shit about yeah. all that other stuff. I mean, someone might, I didn't. because. Well,
1: I mean, and him. sometimes it is important, but in other cases, it's just something that the defense is thrown out there to try to get him, you know off. Right. Try to get them free. So a lot of times it's, it's convoluted and is not really important to the case.
0: Yeah. So O'Brien, um, O'Brien's wife stated that she knew nothing of these policies on her children and, and she didn't because later, well, I'll, I'll just continue. And I'll I
1: mean, what would she have said, you know, if they never would have found out if he would have gotten away with this and all of a sudden he had $30,000,
0: well, but not to yeah. mention doesn't don't both parents have to, you know, sign? Not then, Though, I mean, that's stuff now, but laws have changed for, you yeah. know, because um, of people like this. All right. So, um, I mean, no, because I have life insurance on my kids through my work and don't, John- my husband didn't have to sign anything.
1: Okay. Yeah, you're right.
0: So police then, um, they have even more doubts. So, I mean, they're kind of catching on. They're like, okay, so yeah, this guy might be full of shit. So they had even more doubts when it was real that O'Brien had visited that chemical supply store in an attempt to purchase cyanide, but he left without buying any because he didn't need five pounds of it. They only sold it, you know, in bulk. Mm-hmm. Police theorize that O'Brien had laced the candies with poison in an effort to kill his children to collect their life insurance policies. And,
1: and you put up there, and I don't, I don't remember you saying this, but you said that he called the insurance company the next day. Yes. I haven't said it yet. Ca- oh, okay. Because it's like in the first paragraph, I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa.
0: Oh, I missed that. Yes, he did. He called the next day. I do bring it up kind of okay. again. But, um, he called the next day to inquire about his, his son's. Wow. He's you know, not listening any time. Pretty ruthless yeah and then
1: other children involved i mean it's just
0: sad so the other children never consumed anything police repeatedly questioned o'brien but he maintained his innocence like i don't know how it got there i don't know anything well although police never discovered when or where o'brien bought the poison he was eventually arrested for timothy's murder on november 5th 1974
1: so not that far afterwards i mean it was yeah
0: less than a week Mm -hmm. five days so for uh i'm sorry he was indicted on one count of capital murder and four counts of attempted murder good and it should be fucking insurance fraud right he oh well i i do say this later um o'brien entered a plea of not guilty of course on all five counts and his trial began in houston on may 5th 1975
1: so I have another question. Mm-hmm. Was he carrying those pixie sticks like the whole time in his pants or something, or do you think he hid them at the house, the Melvin house? He wouldn't be home.
0: Yeah, I don't know because it. I never addressed that. So, because they were in a like a different friends, they were like in their friends' neighborhood, right? So he had to have somehow had them somewhere unless he scoped it out beforehand and,
1: and that's what i'm wondering like yeah. maybe he just who knows but yeah i mean i guess you could hide some of those really long pixie sticks down your pants but yeah. um
0: yeah i'm not sure how that would work i don't know i, f- I picture him like holding it like under his underwear down his leg Okay. Like the side, maybe. I mean, that just makes it all so nasty. <laughs> I know. I was just like, like how it wouldn't fall he down. He to his thigh. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. That's. I mean, that's a great question. I have no idea. All right. So during the trial, a chemist who was acquainted with O'Brien testified that in the summer of 1973, O'Brien contacted him about and was asking him about cyanide and how much would be fatal. Um, A chemical supply salesman also testified that O'Brien had asked him how to purchase cyanide. Friends and coworkers testified that in the months before Timothy's death, O'Brien showed unusual interest in cyanide and spoke about how much it would take to kill a person. Lord have mercy. I know this is just ridiculous. His sister-in-law and brother-in-law testified that on the day of Timothy's funeral, he spoke of using the money from Timothy's insurance policy to take a long vacation and buy other items.
1: Oh, so he's already making plans.
0: Yeah. At the funeral. At the funeral. Yeah. He continued to maintain his innocence. His defense mainly drew upon the decades old urban legend. Concerning a mad poisoner who hands out candy laced, you know, candy laced with poison or needles or candy apples with razor blades, you know, so that was like, you know, all that folklore type stuff.
1: Yeah. The urban uh, myths that I learned. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So these stories have persisted despite the fact that there's no documented instances of strangers poisoning Halloween candy at this time.
1: Okay. Up until 1974.
0: Right. The case you know you a... always hear
1: those things like God remember you're like don't put your hands in like vending machines because somebody puts their used needles in there or when you yes. sit, like sit yes. in a theater seat somebody's used needle I mean ooh I
0: know I'm... Ugh. gross the case in the in the trial garnished national attention of course it did and that's when he was dubbed the candyman on June 3rd, 1975, a jury took 46 minutes to find him guilty of capital murder and four counts of attempted murder. It only took them 71 minutes to sentence him to death. So shortly after he was convicted, his wife filed for divorce, <laughs> I imagine so. And she later remarried and her new husband adopted the daughter.
1: I mean, I don't think I could have been with him knowing that he was even suspected of doing this to my child.
0: Mm -hmm. I did read where another article where the daughter talked about how she wasn't, you know, she didn't go trick or treating for quite some time after that. Yeah. How old was the daughter at the time? Do you know? She was younger. She was younger. I can't remember her exact age. I think she was younger okay now i'm confused it's shocking it's my you know my my light bulb's not very bright tonight right. <laughs> so at the time that he was sentenced to death under texas law um he was confined to the ellis one unit near huntsville texas well you know in huntsville there's always that joke have you ever what's that uh that ron white
1: yeah potato salad
0: Tater salad. Yeah. yeah. He always talks about how Texas has an express lane. For, yeah, uh, they
1: do. For driving. You can't. It's a passing lane only.
0: Oh, no. I'm talking about executions. Oh. He talks about how <laughs> Texas has an express lane. <laughs> I mean, and there for a while under George Bush, he was getting them. He was getting them out of there quick. <laughs> oh, I mean, why let him linger? I mean, and that was the, and that's kind of like, it's always been like in Texas, like you're I not, mean, sitting- as,
1: as long as they're 100% guilty, there is absolutely even 99.4% doubt. I would say, you know, that's a different story. Yeah. Well,
0: so according to Reverend Carol Pickett, a former chaplain who worked for the Texas Department of Criminal Justice, O'Brien was shunned and despised by his fellow death row inmates Um, because he killed a kid. Yeah. Good. He's absolutely friendless. Good. Good. The inmates reportedly petitioned to hold and organize the inmates Petitioned to hold an organized demonstration on O'Brien's execution day to express their hatred for him. Oh my god.
1: (laughs) I mean, really, he's
0: like the boogeyman,
1: honestly. He's a monster. Yeah. You talk about Halloween monsters, like he's he's a real Halloween monster.
0: Yep. So his first execution date was set for August 8th, 1980, and his attorney did successfully petition a stay of execution. A second date was scheduled. May 25th, 1982. The date was also postponed. Judge Michael McSpadden scheduled a third execution date for October 31st, 1982. Ooh. And which was the eighth anniversary of his crime. And he offered to personally drive O'Brien to the death chamber.
1: Oh, Texas is special, aren't <laughs> they? The <laughs> no Texans.
0: Yep. Yeah. It would have been the first time Texas executed an. Um, an inmate by lethal injection. All right. The it Supreme Court been. delayed the date yet again to give O'Brien a chance to pursue an appeal to seek a new trial. A fourth date was scheduled for March 31st, 1984.
1: Okay, so I ha- I do have a question in this. And um, what, how was he as a parent to his children before all this? Like, was he considered a good parent?
0: From everything that I've read, Yes. I mean, other than, I mean, I think he was.
1: I mean, you had twenty-one jobs in less than ten years, uh, you know, and in that time, job stability was a little bit better than it is
0: today. Well, and it was more important to have job stability. You know, there wasn't this. You know, now people, as long as you stay in the same kind of field, doesn't yeah. matter how many. Jobs you've had per se, right. yeah. As long as you're kind of getting better, but if you're jump, but in the '70s, if you're jumping around like that, it's it's frowned upon.
1: Yeah, I mean, big time. You, you have no, yeah, okay. Uh,
0: so yeah. his lawyer sought a fourth stay, basis that lethal injection was cruel and unusual punishment. Uh-huh. On March 28th, a federal judge rejected that request. And on March 31st, 1984, shortly after midnight, O'Brien was executed by lethal injection at Huntsville, at the Huntsville unit. His final statement, O'Brien maintained his innocence, stating that he felt the death penalty was wrong. I imagine so. He added, I forgive all, and I do mean all, those who have been involved in my death. God bless you, and may God's best blessing be always yours.
1: Okay, so now I know that you, you said that you didn't, obviously you, you didn't talk about the appeals at all, but what were some of his appeals? Just the jury?
0: Yeah, there was like some jury, juror issues. Okay, that's it. So there yeah. were no
1: other, okay.
0: Nothing, nothing like, just like, no, nothing. Like
1: somebody planted evidence and no,
0: all no, right. none of that. He would have probably gotten a new trial. That had been the case. Yeah. Okay. So during the execution, a crowd of 300 demonstrators gathered outside the prison and cheered while some yelled trick or treat. Others showered anti-death penalty demonstrators with candy. Oh my God. Yeah. Ronald O'Brien is buried in Forest Park East Cemetery in Webster, Texas. Timothy is buried in Forest Park Lawndale Cemetery in Houston. Oh my God. That's an awful story. I know, right? Oh,
1: it's just, I just don't understand how somebody can do that to their child.
0: Honestly, I don't either. I, I I don't get it. I mean, here recently, there was that girl who my daughter knows that was so fucked up on drugs. She left her kid in a
1: suitcase. Is that the one that put her kid in a suitcase and said
0: it was a devil? Oh, no. But my daughter knows her too. Oh, God. I'll have to tell you that one later. Which one are you talking about? It was the one that happened recently. The lady, she was all fucked up on meth and stuff. And she was like, I guess going in and out and people were, her other kids were like asking where the baby is and come to find out. It was like in the car all day long.
1: Oh, that was just super recent. Well, that's pretty interesting. And, uh, I know another story about the candy man. Yeah. I used to love that song too. You kind of ruined it a little for me. Mm -hmm. Thanks so much. And thank you listeners for listening to this week's murder. We appreciate sharing our passion with you. We thank you for your support. If you'd like to support us even further, please consider subscribing to our podcast, giving us a five-star rating and a comment. Your subscription and ratings are really essential to our success. You can do this on your favorite platform. And for more information, links to our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages, visit our website at itwasntmetruecrime.com.
0: We are so grateful to spend our time together to share murder stories. Thank you so much for your support. Please recommend It Wasn't Me to your true crime loving friends and family. Also, thank you to our Patreon supporters. You are the extra.
1: Yes. Thank you so much. Yes. Honestly.
0: You too can become one of our beloved patrons by signing up at patreon.com forward slash It Wasn't Me pod. Oh, and I want to interject here real quick. We also have some merchandise that we can sell. We have our shirts that we need to. And we've got some
1: stickers too.
0: Yes. So we need to figure out how to. Yeah, maybe we put that yeah. on our.
1: Um, we'll put it on the website in the next, I don't know, week or two. <laughs> we'll work on it and we'll let you know for sure. But if you're interested, um, you can email us. Definitely, yeah,
0: definitely. All right. All right. Well, thank you guys, and remember,
1: it was not me. me.